Hello, and welcome to the Product Momentum Podcast. This is a podcast intended to entertain, educate, celebrate, and give a little back to the product leadership community. Paul, I can't believe we are at the 50th episode of the Product Momentum Podcast. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk we'd ever get here? I'm so excited. Since Joe Hoffend and I started, it was a twinkle in his eye a couple of years back. I can't believe we've had the honor to interview such incredible guests and produce such incredible content for the product management space. We've got to celebrate. We got to do something about this. We need to celebrate. Absolutely necessary. We've been graced with a few guests that I never would have imagined being able to to pick their brains. And I think it's only fitting that we give back to our listeners in a way as meaningful as we can, sharing a couple books that our guests have written, contributed to, recommended. So we've got two stacks of 10 books each to give away to two folks listening right now. 10 product leadership books. So go over to giveaway.itx.com slash five zero. It's giveaway.itx.com slash 50, the number 50. It only takes a couple minutes to fill out the form. And we're going to choose two folks to win 10 books each. From Sean and I, thank you to everyone. We couldn't have done this without you. We appreciate you being part of our journey. Let's get after it. Hey, Paul. How are you doing today? I'm great, Sean. How are you? Good. How's your confidence level and your knowledge of the cognitive biases? I'm riding high on stupid mountain. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect and some other cognitive biases, because this guy has built a very cool tool for product leaders to use. Yeah, Wolf has definitely exposed me to a lot of the blind spots that I had in what we do to impact people and and specifically the shortcuts and mental models that we build into our products. Yeah, well, let's get after it. Let's get after it. Well, hello and welcome to the pod. We are excited today to be joined by Wolf Alexanian. He's the head of product management at the software development company working on lawful cyber intelligence systems. The first half of his 12-year career was as a technical specialist working on networks, servers, DevOps, and the like, after which he shifted to management. His main passion, to which he devoted all his free time since 2010, was studying different cognitive science disciplines to understand patterns of human behavior and thinking. You've most likely heard of him because of a viral tool he created called UX Core, consisting of 105 hands-on examples of cognitive biases used in software development and team management. He sincerely believes that humanity is on the verge of a cognitive revolution. Although cognitive biases are most used in the development of political and digital products, anyone can reap the enormous benefits if they take the time to study their own biases and beliefs. Wolf's website and his notes about project and product management can be found at keepsimple.io. Wolf, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I want to jump right in and just hear your thoughts on the state of product management. And I appreciate your take on it as agnostic of the business and artistic UX kind of aspects of the industry. And I think you've taken a psychological approach towards it. Why is it so important for product managers to understand basic psychology? So the reason I emphasize the importance of psychology here is that behind every decision we make, it is a you know, set of assumptions, motives, and beliefs that are, in a nutshell, a result of this or another cognitive bias that we're prone to. It's like when you ask me a particular question, you know, the sense of the situation and the feeling that, you know, it is the right moment to ask this question, all that gut feeling of yours is covered by various aspects of psychology and cognitive sciences. 
like putting more simply, your product should fit your audience scientifically, in this context, psychologically, and then maybe it will generate return on investment. It's a separate topic. And the, there's a challenge that we're facing as product managers because we tend to get wrapped up in the tools of the trade. We tend to get wrapped up in the frameworks, the processes. These things are important, but what do you think are some of the things that are missing in the emphases that we're placing on training good quality product managers? So as I see the problem in uh, modern product managers, even the ones that are very famous, that they're focusing more on the tools, practices, and the processes, you know, rather than on the essential things that should be understood first. Modern product managers can endlessly talk about uh, focus groups, user interviews, requirements generation, but ironically, uh, everything is much more simple. It's like uh, all of the topics of modern managers are talking about is basically about understanding the people. And right after emphasizing that in their speeches or talks, you know, they forget about one of the most vital thing, regardless whether it's an entry-level product manager or a senior product manager, no difference in that. When they design a A-B test or survey, they design it in such a way to avoid participant biases. They design A-B tests, keeping in mind the huge ton of various cognitive biases, just in order to increase the quality of gathering data. In most cases, they don't even realize that they use biases. They call their knowledge, you know, experience, but it doesn't change the essence. Of course, I'm not saying that the existing educational materials are bad. I mean, obviously you should talk about tools. You should talk about practices because it is the part of existing reality. I just say that it's not that good as it could be. In order to be much more interesting and exciting, the authors of the books and podcasts should do their homework and think twice about how they make their decisions. I mean, in many ways, the answers will be so simple and obvious that they will not like to tell it on public. And uh, I understand that. It's better to avoid the risk and keep all management domain as a place where you need to, you know, make heavy decisions, think about your users, do products that matters, and a lot of this kind of generic fancy phrases because it's very safe to tell that kind of things. I understand why it is how it is. All of us are using cognitive biases regularly. We use understanding of those biases by, you know, like our gut feeling in our emails, in dialogues with colleagues, in conference calls, in books. But because of lack of scientific information and most recent evidences related to human behavior research, all of us prefer not to touch these kind of topics, you know? Yeah. So let me jump in there and summarize because you've covered a lot of ground. The thing about cognitive biases is not that we use them or don't use them right? They're always Mm -hmm. present, whether or not we acknowledge them. And I think what I hear you saying is product managers should understand some of the ways that the brain works. And if we could just rewind cognitive biases for those who are coming into this podcast thinking we're going to talk about Scrum. This is a pretty deep topic to just jump into. So what we could maybe use as shorthand is, you know, cognitive biases, as I understand them, is it's a shortcut for your brain. It's a way for your brain to process information more efficiently, to take in the infinite amount of information coming into us and use a mental model to understand the world around us. Sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not. Correct. Daniel Kahneman has a beautiful way of describing it. He's got his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Oh, yes. You know, and it's the difference between the fast brain, which often makes bad economic decisions because it's the way in which it works, versus the slow brain, which 
if you remember when you're a kid, your mom telling you, slow down and use your words. That's the act of engaging the slow brain, the thinking brain versus the limbic system. Correct. Where a lot of these cognitive biases actually exist. When we're not cognizant of the biases that are naturally there, that's when we make these mistakes. The work that you've done, I think it's a great tool for product leadership, product management industry, just to be aware of what's out there so that we can make better decisions and build better products based upon these known biases that we all already have. Yeah. The only thing I would add to what you said is that it's not necessarily to talk about biases in the context of human brain mistakes, but the fact is that the reason of biases existence is just to, like, as Paul said, make a shortcut in decision-making. So generally speaking, it is the part of our system and human beings are designed in such a way that they don't have another choice, you know? It's like we as a systems should understand ourselves first. We build products for Homo sapiens species. Homo sapiens as an amazing system with a huge ton of subsystems working in it. As any system, Homo sapiens system also has bugs, bottlenecks, sections that could be optimized, etc. I can bring up analogy with the software. Let's say you're a software engineer and your boss gave you a task to maintain the code of third-party partner of yours. The first thing that you would do when you see the code that was developed by another person is you will try to understand the errors in that. You will try to understand the bottlenecks. You will try to understand the architectural decisions and based on that, you will try to see which bug you should fix, which bug is very like, dangerous to try to maintain, and which bug should be left as it is because it doesn't have a huge negative impact on the system. The same is about people. Like We have a body, which is our hardware, and we have a prefrontal cortex, which gives us ability to be an intelligent species on this earth, and that prefrontal cortex consists of our software system. So it's like when you approach to human being as a system, you just need to read about existing biases, truly understand them, then see which one helps you in your regular routine and which one does not. Then you just need to keep the first and remove or optimize the second part. No, the moment when people will understand their power and their ability of changing their own code, will start their own cognitive revolution without waiting for third-party companies to come up with, you know, mega fancy devices, chips, etc. That's it. Yeah, Neuralink was recently in the news. There's a oh, yeah. really interesting theme that you've got going on with the brain-machine interfaces. And I think that we could spend the rest of the time talking about that. But just to kind of give some shorthand to the audience, if this is new territory, could you define your term? cognitive revolution. What does that mean when you use that term? When I talk about cognitive revolution, I mean the upcoming brain-machine interfaces development and the moment when they will become something available for majority of people. Brain-machine interface are the devices that are being developed now by different companies, as you said, Neuralink, there are other companies like Gernel that are working in the same field. The idea of those devices is to read neural activity of human brain in initial versions. And yes, a recent Neuralink presentation, you could see that they shown that they are already able to read neural activity based on their experiments with peaks, you know. And uh, eventually, at some point, those interfaces should not just read the activity, but understand our thought patterns. Maybe even understand which particular thought or emotion of ours, our reaction, will bring to depression state or, you know, 
maybe they will give us advice how to cope with our thoughts. So at some point, of course, it is very far from now, but I hope we will see that in the next 30, 40 years, the system could be able to understand the reason of regular stress by analyzing the brain activity, catching the patterns and match it with various biases. Yeah, and that will be something all product leaders have to take into account, right? This is going to change the face of how we build all kinds of software products. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, I liked what you said about, you know, these biases are already there. And it reminded me of the work by Nobel Prize winning author and researcher Richard Thaler and Cass Sustein mm -hmm. and the concept oh, yes. of nudge. And how governments, you know, for years have been using these theories to inform how they communicate and how they you know, set up their systems to impact human behavior. And we need to take these things into account when we're building products too. But I also want to bring it back to the goals. All of these things are really tactical. They're all, how do you apply these behavioral economics, these cognitive biases, these concepts to the tactics that you would deploy to get a change in behavior. Our strategy is always about how are we going to inspire people to a better future together, right? Oh, yeah, I see. Because it could be used for good or it could be used for bad. And we have to make sure that we're taking these tools in context and using them to drive positive behaviors or maybe not drive them, but inspire them to change the language there. You know, I got a lot, a lot of feedback when I released the UX core. Sure. And there were questions from different specialists working on different domains, not only IT. Like, is it fine to use cognitive biases from ethical and moral perspective? A lot of people told me that it's inappropriate to use the examples because they contain of manipulation with people. I even had a short chat with a few people who had the same idea because I wanted to understand why they consider the conscious use of bias manipulation, whereas when you use the biases like by accident without knowing the science, it is not a manipulation. You know? I wanted to see the difference and how they interpret that. And as I understood, they are not so much into this science topic. They just didn't like the fact of seeing the pure like example of how they could be manipulated on some particular website or mobile application, you know? Yeah, I like to use the example of Las Vegas in the US, right? The loss aversion heuristic is the reason why that town exists. <laughs> but it's our reality, so we need to be aware of it. You know, all the work that's being done in the world to expose these biases and make them more available to everyone, I think is going to result in a more positive world in the long run. In the short run, though, it is being taken advantage of, and that's some scary stuff. Yeah. You know, if we go slightly off from the product management topic and we talk about changing the society, I have some other view. I'm sure you do. To that topic, <laughs> yeah. You know, all what now happening is normal and pretty understandable. Each one of us does good and bad things. Yeah. Okay, we were going slightly off from the product management topic, but we will get back to that, you know. Generally speaking, my desire behind the UX core that I released is to find some public influencers who could understand the point I'm talking about and help to make the topic of cognitive biases much more trendy, you know? Yeah. I'm telling this because the thing is that our consciousness and skills of self-awareness could help us to make that analysis that I have been talking about in the topic of cognitive revolution right now. It's like we have the following choice. We can wait for 30, 40 years for the companies like Neuralink to implement a specific chips that we will like put in our head and we'll be able to analyze our thoughts 
or we can use our multi-billion dollar device in our head and make that analysis right now. I mean, when you just sit on your own and think about how difficult day you had, the processes that uh, retrospective analysis that you are doing to understand what went good and what went bad during that day, it is just a piece of art, you know? You are doing something that there are no any devices in the world that at the moment could do that. And uh, when I was working on UX Core, I wanted to show people not just how to use the biases to manipulate people or how to use the understanding of biases to protect yourself from manipulation, but to show how powerful our brain is. Yeah. When you understand a particular bias, you can like reflect on your own thoughts for 10 minutes, make some specific changes in yourself, change some true to false and some false to true flags in your code, and based on that, change the quality of all the decisions of all your future life. I decided to create an examples of product management because I'm a product manager. I didn't want to create 100 examples of cognitive biases used in regular life because I don't want to be a life coach, you know. But the thing is that when you understand that knowledge, you can go far away from the product management, apply a huge ton of changes in your own life, and based on the errors you found, positively increase the quality of all decisions that you will make all your, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years of your future life. Yeah. This is the most important thing. It's like, it's very good that we have schools and universities that give you some information, but if we focus on ourselves and spend a couple of months just to understand the errors that we have, instead of understanding the capabilities of the world and opportunities that arise day to day, we will benefit from that much more, much more. And that was the thing I wanted to focus on, you know? So one of the things you did in the tool that's related to this is you flagged each of the biases with either product relevance or management relevance, right? which I think was really cool. Because like you said, this is applicable in all different phases of our lives. And when we're aware of them, we make better decisions, or at least we have more control over our decisions. So we feel like we're making better decisions. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is it applies to our leadership of product teams and the building of the products, as well as how we use these biases inside of the products and our leadership. Like, how are we making sure that we're building you know, the best possible product? I don't think you can build the best possible product without understanding the cognitive biases that go into the teams that are building it the leadership of the teams that are building it and the users that are actually using the products. Absolutely. Yeah. One question that I wanted to ask you is the approach that you've taken is I would say controversial in the sense that you've made some bold claims. Like you can learn everything you need to know about the processes of product management in about three months. You can get to the level of technical proficiency and scrum in a relatively short amount of time, but the biggest barrier to building good products is finding those high quality product managers. And I think the essence of what I see in UX core and the passion that you bring to this topic is the biggest barrier that we have is our own egos. We think we're smarter than the biases that we're understanding. We think that by observing these biases, we can compartmentalize, put them in a box, read about them, take them down from a shelf and make them more approachable, but what we really need to understand is that we're just as susceptible to these biases as product managers and learning agile frameworks and 
full stack development and principles of UX design is relatively easy compared to overcoming our own egos and overcoming the self-awareness of these biases. Is that a fair assessment? Oh yeah, you know, I can talk about this topic endlessly because human ego is a very funny thing. At some point, human species decided that they are rule the world and they are the smartest one. But then they like divide it into different groups. Then it turned out that if you have a very fancy title in a very serious IT company, you're a serious guy. If you take a look on UX core from the perspective of working with your own ego, the funny thing is that if you really focus on the biases I described there, you cannot tell after that that you are supreme, you know? Because look, man, you have about minimum 100 biases in yourself and you cannot overcome that. You think that you have a lot of control of your life, but at your best, you will be able to control about 50% of your life. Most of the decisions you make are like built on the paradoxes of the biases that you are prone to. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> oh yeah, Dunning-Kruger effect is another epic thing, you know? I have seen a lot of HR specialists prone to Dunning-Kruger effect, but I don't want to go into that topic too much. But overall, yeah, the idea of cognitive biases and their relation to ego is very important. Like, you can, regardless in which department you work in an IT company, you can use the biases to increase the quality of your own department. Let's say you are not a product manager. Let's say you are an HR specialist. You can take six or seven cognitive biases that could be an easy check of like fragility of ego of the opponent. And based on understanding of that biases, you can create a short survey based on which you will understand whether this candidate is cultural fit to your company or not. I mean, the way you could use UX core in theory endless because it shows some basic thing that all of us will be prone like for next tens or hundreds of years, you know? So yeah, the ego is a very, very big problem, very big problem. They're interrelated. Like I think this bias around that Dunning-Kruger discovered, our confidences, especially early in the mastery of any sort of content, that's the ego at play. And then we realize, what do they call it? Stupid mountain, right? And then you go into the trough mm -hmm. of despair. And then you do gain this confidence over time. And then there's another term for it. It's called imposter syndrome. You know, when you actually have more knowledge than you don't have, and there's the balance there. But anyway, with all of these biases, I think ego is a big factor because once you recognize it, if you don't do something about it, that's basically ego at play. Interesting. We ask all of our guests, we're compiling definitions of the word innovation from our space. So how do you define the word innovation? Oh, it depends from which perspective you are asking the question. It's like within the company, an innovation is something that is being done by going out of the existing processes of the company. It is an innovation for the company. If we talk about the innovation globally, that should be like considered as innovation to the majority. Unfortunately, innovation is something that the media says that is innovation. You know, you can do a lot of innovation in your own company, but to tell the world about something that you consider as a worldwide innovation, there is a thing called uh, overtone window which is basically a technique of working with society. And in order to create an innovation, you should convince the majority what is the innovation. Interesting. 
that's great. I mean, maybe I'm not telling very fancy things, but in a nutshell, what society says innovation is innovation. Even if you are a specialist who knows that this is not an innovation, I saw that 10 years ago. No, if society says that this is an innovation, that is an innovation, that's it. I think that is an answer that is just in line with the kind of thinking and observational expertise that you've brought to the table. I appreciate that answer very much. The last thing that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on are, what book do you think every product manager should have on their shelf? Uh, one of the books surely is a book written by Nicholas Nassim Taleb. It's called Black Swan. Great book. Yeah, it's a very important one because people don't understand the importance of luck in the business they run. No doubt. If I could add to that, I think Anti-Fragile is equally important from the same author. Yes, could be. I focus more on the Black Swan because it was uh, life-changing for me. That's why I mentioned it first. <laughs> Great book. Another book that you already mentioned is written by Nobel Prize winner, Danny Kahneman, called uh, Think Fast. Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I read it in Russian, so I don't, ah. don't remember the name in English. Great. Excellent. Yeah, those books are an epic ones, you know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I have one last question for you. In the tool, you've numbered all of the biases. I think that's important for reference, but that don't seem to imply any sort of order. But if you were to introduce a new product leader to this concept of cognitive biases, what do you think would be the top three to learn? Just to introduce you to the concept, because there's a lot. I would recommend just one, because if a person will understand that one, he will read the rest, you know? <laughs> it's a biased blind spot for sure. It is the bias based on which every one of us has things that he's not prone to biases. That's it. If you understand that you're prone to that particular bias, it could be uh, the start in your discovery of the rest of the biases. And I assume that it won't be good to separate them by importance. Because the context is what's really important, right? Yeah. Because whatever the context is would define which biases are being engaged or not being engaged. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, fantastic. We really appreciate getting your insight on this. I think you've really done a tremendous service to the community in bringing these to the forefront and making them a part of our conversation today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. In line with our goals of transparency and listening, we really want to hear from you. Sean and I are committed to reading every piece of feedback that we get. So please leave a comment or a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. Not only does it help us continue to improve, but it also helps the show climb up the rankings so that we can help other listeners move, touch, and inspire the world just like you're doing. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next episode. Mm -hmm.